So the story that Beth just told, it comes from Matthew chapter 19. Um, Earlier in that same gospel, Jesus uh, delivers what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's this incredible sermon. Some people love most of it. Everybody loves some of it. No one likes all of it, (laughs) especially not this part from Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guess what we're going to be talking about for the next couple weeks? Uh, Using hundreds, by the way, subliminal, (laughs) pay attention. (laughs) Kidding. Like you see that, you know what we're talking about, all of a sudden you start reeling, maybe you're looking for a reason or an excuse to not only not come back next week, but to get out of here right now, (laughs) right? It's like each February we talk about stewardship, about giving your time, your talent, and your treasure to the work that God is doing in and through our church. And it's that time again, and I have to tell you that for the first time in 20 years of ministry, I am really excited to talk about it. Like I'm really excited to talk about money because I wanna talk about the discipline of letting go of the things that we value and hold too tightly so that we can learn to trust Jesus more. And y'all, we have to talk about money if we're going to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Not because Jesus needs your money, but because Jesus wants you and he knows because he said it for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So roughly one third of what you hear this morning is going to come directly from scripture. And when I'm reading scripture to you this morning, I'm actually going to use the message because it's the most digestible version when you're reading large sections and gatherings like this. But also what I really like about the message, it's not just the gospel read, it is the gospel proclaimed. And it was written by a good Presbyterian pastor, no less. So we're gonna hear two entire chapters from 2 Corinthians, chapters eight and chapters nine. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth about a very practical matter, about money. But in the two chapters I'm about to read, guess what word he never uses even once? He never uses the word money or any cultural equivalent. Instead, what he talks about is grace. The message is gonna translate it as a gift. Paul is dealing with a really practical matter, but there's a theologian and a pastor named N.T. Wright, and he says this. He says, perhaps these practical chapters about money are among Paul's greatest theological writing. Perhaps. Like we often think of grace as this undeserved love or favor from God. In our tradition, we believe that grace is the means by which we come to faith in the first place. That, of course, is all true. But Paul is gonna use this word differently. It's charis in Greek, grace in English. N.T. Wright says this. He says, Paul is gonna use this word to refer to what God wants to do, not just in Christians, but through them. So really quickly, let me set the context for these chapters. And then we'll get to reading uh, the church, the church, which began in Jerusalem. And you could read Acts chapter two for more on that. The church that began in Jerusalem has now spread throughout the Mediterranean region. And there were some really rich churches that were doing really well. These churches were like Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia, but there were also really poor churches, churches 
going through a lot of suffering and persecution. They were Thessalonica, Macedonia. And the church in Jerusalem, where it all started, was now a poor church. They were suffering from real persecution and real poverty. So Paul and the apostles, a follower of his named Titus, others, they began this initiative throughout the churches to accomplish two goals. They wanted to take up a collection to help the Jerusalem church in their time of need, but they also wanted to do this so they could show Jewish and Gentile Christians that they are now one family, that they are sisters and brothers and they are meant to bear one another's burdens. He wanted to show them that because of what Christ has done, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. Y'all, this is a really important moment for the church. Like Paul and the others, they were committed to pulling this off and they were praying that the Holy Spirit agreed. The churches agreed to it. They agreed to take up a collection. The church in Corinth offered to help. They said, no problem, happy to pitch in. But a year later, they hadn't followed through. So Paul writes what I'm about to read with a purpose. He wants to make sure that by the time he makes it back to Corinth, along with some visitors who we'll hear about in a minute, he wants to make sure that the church has set aside the money that they've committed to God and to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So I want you to remember as I read, Paul never uses the word money. He only talks about grace, which the message will translate as gift. Anytime you hear the word gift, just think grace. In fact, in this section, Paul uses the word grace 10 times, which is more than any other section of text in all of his letters. Like this is about grace. And it might be one of his greatest theological works. So listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter eight. He says, now friends, I wanna report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. And the trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. And that pressure triggered something totally unexpected. There was an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and I saw it for myself. They gave whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in relief of other poor Christians. Now, really quick, you ever heard a pastor tell his church to stop giving because they're giving too much? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but this might be one of those times. Like I told you, the church in Macedonia was really poor. They suffered real persecution. They could have easily written to Paul themselves and said, we need an offering collected for us. We've got nothing. This church had nothing to give, yet they considered it grace, a gift that through Paul, God was giving them the opportunity to help. Back to the message. Paul writes, this was totally spontaneous. It was entirely their own idea and it caught us completely off guard. What explains it is that they first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. That's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention so that what was so well begun in you could be finished up. You do so many things well. You trust God, you're articulate, you're insightful, you're passionate, you love us. Now do your best in this too. I'm not trying to order you, 
I'm not trying to push you against your own will. But by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping to bring out the best in you. You are familiar with the generosity of our master Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. So here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions go stale. Your heart has been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish up. So get on with it. See, once the commitment is clear, then you do what you can, not what you can't. The heart is what regulates the hands. And this isn't so that others can take it easy while you sweat it out. No, you're standing shoulder to shoulder with them all the way. Your surplus is just matching their deficit, their surplus matching yours. In the end, you come out even. I thank God for giving Titus the same devoted concern for you that I have. He was most considerate of how we felt, but his eagerness to go to you and help out with this relief, it's his own idea. So we're sending a companion along with him, some very, someone very popular in the churches because of his preaching of the message. Okay, now listen. Titus and this other guy are gonna go visit this church that Paul's writing to, right? And I have to admit, when I first read this, it sounded a little bit like, hey, I'm sending some guys. And you know, you might wanna have that money ready when they get there. <laughs> like Titus and the crew. <laughs> Christian debt collectors. <laughs> This is actually the amazing thing about this chapter. Like Paul isn't guilting them into giving. He's teaching a deeper theology of grace. Like he's inviting them to participate by just keeping a commitment they've already made. Titus and his crew are not Christian debt collectors. This next session will help get that image out of your head. Uh, Paul goes on to say this. He says, there's far more to them than popularity. He's rock solid, trustworthy. The church's handpicked him to go with us as we travel about doing this work of sharing God's gift to honor God as well as we can, taking every precaution against scandal. We don't want anybody suspecting us of taking one penny of this money for ourselves. So we are being as careful in our reputation with the public as in our reputation with God. And that's why we're sending another trusted friend along. He also has proved his dependability many times over. And he's carried on as energetically today as the day he started. And he's heard a lot about you and he's liked what he's heard. So much so that he can't wait to get there. And I don't need to say anything further about Titus. We've been close associates in this work of serving you for a long time. The brothers who travel with him are delegates from churches, a real credit to Christ. So show them what you're made of. The love that I've been talking up throughout the churches. Let them see it for themselves. Like Paul is really concerned about his reputation and about that of Titus and his crew. And look, for good reason. Like nothing tarnishes good ministry like a scandal, right? And particularly with money, because in a lot of ways it goes right to the heart of the gospel. Because the gospel isn't about self-seeking or self-serving, it's about self-giving. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life for us. So it's really important that the people that are called to take up this collection, it's important that they're trustworthy. 
that they're not doing this in order to make themselves rich. If you remember in the Gospels, a group of people that were really hated, the, the tax collectors. Do you know why they were hated? Because this is exactly what they did. They took up a collection for Rome, but they made themselves rich in the process. This was a really important moment for the church. And y'all look, they could have just avoided the money conversation altogether. They could have gone and found a couple really wealthy people and encouraged them to help out. They could have just left the churches to fend for themselves and avoid all the drama. But Paul and the other apostles, they knew that this was an opportunity to not only teach the churches how to love one another well, but to show the churches that they were one. Jew and Gentile Christians united as God's family. They could have avoided the money conversation. But disciples of Jesus are a people who put Jesus on the throne of every part of their life. Finances included. Well, I'm telling you, this is not about money. And it's not even simply about helping a struggling church. This entire conversation truly is about discipleship. So let me go on. Chapter 9. He says, if I wrote any more about this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd just be repeating myself. I know you're on board and you're ready to go. I've been bragging about you all throughout Macedonia, telling them Achaia or Corinth province has been ready to go on this since last year. Your enthusiasm by now has spread to most of them. Now I'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready, as I said you would be, so that my bragging won't turn out to be a lot of hot air. If some Macedonians and I happened to drop in on you and found that you weren't prepared, we'd all be pretty red-faced. You and us for acting so sure of ourselves. So to make sure there will be no slip-up, I've recruited these brothers as an advanced team to get you and your promised offering all ready before I get there. Because I want you to have the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. Like, like, do you see what he's doing? I mean, he's being very direct. But y'all, this is an act of grace in and of itself. Like, just imagine, like, some members of some small town, poor, persecuted church. Imagine if they had given more than they could afford to help. What if they showed up for worship at some rich megachurch in the city and they found that the people who could afford to really help were just choosing not to? But, but the point of these chapters, it's not that the poor rural church would be upset about it. They were grateful to be involved. His point in writing is that this rich megachurch might be embarrassed. They might be ashamed. Y'all, this is not coercion. This is grace. This is shepherding. Real pastoral care for a church that Paul dearly loved. He goes on to say this. He says, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. God can pour, out, pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy and reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. 
This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your table is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping to meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, showing your gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through your generous offerings to your needy brothers and sisters and really toward everyone. And meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they will respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Thank God for this gift, his gift. Thank God for his grace. No language can praise it enough. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all, giving is not about coercion or guilt. I love that line, I love that line. Take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. That's a good line. (laughs) Pastors and fundraisers, we need to remember that line. But here's what he says next. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Y'all, giving really is an act of worship. Like he is pointing out the, the irony of God's economy. Like when we reflect on our joy in and our love for God in Jesus Christ, when we willingly give over what's of value to us, because we recognize that he is of infinite value, y'all, that's an act of worship. And God loves it. Not because God needs the money, but because it's evidence that we are giving him more of ourselves. Like God's joy and love overflows and our return to the giver in ways that we can't even imagine. Y'all, one thing is true throughout the scriptures. In poverty and in sacrifice, there is deep joy. And this can only happen because of grace. An undeserved gift, something that is done both in and through all disciples of Jesus. So listen, I'm gonna tell you, Jesus wants your money. (laughs) Jesus wants your money, not because Jesus needs your money, but because Jesus has given all of himself to you and he wants all of you in return. He wants to be your treasure because you are his. So he just invites us to talk about it. And we need to talk about it because Jesus knows that the human heart needs help. We need encouragement and exhortation because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. But it is so hard to talk about money. Like I get it. Like, to be frank, um, I told you after 20 years, now I'm excited to talk about money. <laughs> Like it's one of the things that I was most hesitant about when I was trying to decide whether God was calling me to lead a church at all. I was like, I mean, I'm pretty good with most of it. I, just, I really don't want to do that. That was disobedience. It was disobedience because it's awkward and I was more worried about what you might think than I was worried about what God demands. 
I was more afraid of you than I was of God. It's awkward, but we have to talk about it. Now here's the deal, pastors and churches have not always been above reproach in this area. True. And that fairly impacts the way culture, maybe the way some of you think about church and money. Some pastors and churches. We can't use that as an excuse to disengage from the ministries of all churches. So it's uncomfortable, but here's the deal. I'm grateful to God that it's uncomfortable because the fact that it's uncomfortable, it's exactly why we need to talk about it because the discomfort is evidence that there's a part of our life that we're holding back. That discomfort is evidence that we're protecting a part of our lives. Like any topic that makes you squirm anytime something comes up and you start getting fidgety, I think that's the Holy Spirit telling us that we're protecting a part of our life from Jesus. Like from a security perspective, guarding against thieves and schemers, okay, that's good. But from a theological perspective, from an eternal perspective, guarding our possessions from Jesus and from the work of his church, like the hard truth, y'all, it isn't our stuff that we're keeping from Jesus. It's ourselves. So we're gonna keep wrestling with this passage over the next couple weeks. We're gonna wrestle with our perspective on time, on our talents, on our treasure. And all we wanna do is invite you to take this time, take these next couple weeks to simply talk to God about it and listen. That's it. No sob stories, no arm twisting. We just want you to prayerfully consider not even just how much you're willing to give to the church, we wanna consider how much of yourself are you willing to give to God? So there's two things I wanna ask of you. The first one is that if you miss worship over the next couple weeks, like please pull up the service online or listen to the podcast. Like let us make the case. Let us make the case from scripture. Let us give you some tools and then just go and you and God work on it together you decide the right way forward. Like maybe some of you are are here and we're entering into this and you're thinking that you just can't give right now. I get that. Be honest and tell him. Like say the words to God, God, I don't think I can give right now. Be honest and just say it. Maybe you don't wanna give. (laughs) Like maybe you're frustrated right now that we're talking about this at all. I understand. And so does God. So be honest. Tell him. Say to God, I don't want to give. Be honest with where you're at. And I'm telling you, his grace will meet you right there. Like just be honest about where your mind and where your heart are at. He'll meet you there. I told you all this past week, we were in California with the national, with the denomination. And as part of that, the pastors, we gather with our covenant groups of other pastors and we work on each other. (laughs) Like we exhort one another. I told you guys about this last week. Like I learned something about myself this week. Like my friends pointed out to me that I'm not really being honest with God. Like I'll think in my mind, I know this is wrong. I know I should be doing something different. But in my prayer life, I don't just say it to God. (laughs) I don't just say, God, I want to do this thing that I know I shouldn't do. 
can you help me? Can you meet me? I don't say it. I think about it, but I don't tell him. I'm not being fully honest with him. Be honest with him. Say it to him. His grace will meet you right there. So be a part of this conversation here in worship and then just go and have that honest conversation with God throughout the week and then you decide how you respond. And the second thing, this is more of a practice that maybe this will be helpful for some of you. Go and read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, two chapters, read it once a day and do it every day for the next week. It's about a thousand words, like it'll just take you a few minutes. Read it and then pray. Read it and then tell God exactly what you think. The good and the bad. Tell him how you're feeling. Be honest, but then be quiet. Listen. Maybe do it first thing in the morning. See if it changes your perspective throughout the day. Like if you'll do that every day this week, like I'm convinced. If nothing else, you're at least gonna be a little more comfortable with this conversation next Sunday. (laughs) But y'all, I'm believing that God will do even more. Like I'm believing that he's ready to make you more than just comfortable talking about money in the church. Like I want you to know, like this, like this church is ready and we're gonna talk about this over the next couple of weeks. You guys know since COVID, attendance is down. You know that, you see it. But you know what's up since COVID? Giving not just in relation to the people we have. This church is giving more now than it did pre-COVID when we had more people. Why? That doesn't make any sense. And can I tell you what I heard, what we heard from all of our pastor friends around the country? The same exact thing. Attendance is down, giving is up. Engagement in the ministries is up. People are ready. We just need to trust God with every part of our lives, especially the parts that we don't want to. Amen? I understand. It's a subtle amen today. I get it. I get it. (laughs) We're going to measure your enthusiasm by the volume of your amens over the next two weeks. (laughs) Let's pray. God, grateful grateful for a family that loves one another well, um, that cares for one another so much that we're willing to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. Um, thank you for, for Mark and Sabrina and Roland and myself and the staff. Like, thank you for bringing us to a place that loves us enough to be willing to listen to stuff like this. And to not sit immediately in judgment, but just to reflect on who you are, what you're calling us to do. My God, I have become convinced that like you are ready to do something in this place, that you've been ready. The question is, are we? And that does just, doesn't just mean our money. It means every part of our lives. So over the next couple of weeks, wrestle with us as we wrestle with you. Guide us. Give us the courage and the strength to be honest with you, with ourselves. Show us how you'd have us serve. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.